Hello, 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 hello. We are back with the Popcorn Pillow Talk podcast. <laughs> yeah, we are back, baby. Uh, we missed last week. We missed last week, didn't we, Richard? We did, because we all real stressed and we busy with lots of work, which is good. Yes, very busy, good. busy very, with very work. Good. Richard, Richard was busy with work. I don't think I was actually busy with work at that time, but I then got extremely busy with work yeah Declan got on got on the gravy train and he started riding it all the way throughout the week riding those Canadian Christmas movies mm-hmm. is that what it was yeah and why was there a kung fu scene or whatever with our boy Mugabe <laughs> oh yeah um why why was Mugabe beating people up in a Hallmark Christmas movie <laughs> because so it was it not only was it a christmas movie it was also a wedding movie and somebody uh, objected to the wedding so they object so mugabe fucking tackled him <laughs> mugabe's my boy well actually he, mugabe was the stunt guy for one of the main actors <laughs> oh oh the, he was not acting in the film oh uh, well that's what he wanted to do anyway so it doesn't really matter yeah no he came in did a pretty solid job um honestly that stunt took like an hour to shoot which is actually pretty great that was when you awesome. think about it yeah i know like i think they got four angles on it maybe five in like 50 minutes oh sweet and he uh if anybody well i mean just to give us some like a uh, preface here uh, i did a short film that we often reference on this wonderful podcast and put him on a boat put him on a boat and uh when you're doing student films, it's very nice of a lot of people to volunteer their time. And often you'll get a whole bunch of people that might not have a lot of experience, but also could be wanting to get into the industry or, or they are just kind of bored. I don't know, or they like to volunteer their time. So we had this awesome person. His name was Mugabe. Uh, and he wanted to become a, a, a stunt person, uh, more specifically fight choreography, I believe. I mean, that's what it looks like anyways. Like these guys were all, all the guys that came in were more like fighting stunts and like handheld rather than like blowing cars up. So, or setting themselves on fire because there are different kinds of stunt guys that specialize in stuff. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Mugabe was super great. And uh, I'm so sad because my film sucks, but Mugabe is awesome. <laughs> so, Dude, he was, no, he was telling me he, he, one, he was actually kind of happy with it. I think the thing is like, he's a stunt guy. The stunt he, well, was great. He, the boxing in that the movie. The boxing's great. <laughs> looked great. The problem was the rest of the movie. Yeah, and also Mugabe is straight up shredded and can do amazing things that most humans can't. <laughs> well, like, that and also like we did make him look like a badass. There's like that one shot where just when he won the fucking fight and he's just bouncing around and it's like it's a great looking shot. Mm-hmm. And he was even telling me, he's like, yeah, I was thinking about like putting it on like my Facebook reel for being a stunt guy, but I didn't know what like the legality was about it. It's a stu- it's a it's a student film. Like, you know, the legality is uh, use it as much as you want because <laughs> <laughs> I owe you. So that's that's basically what a lot of people get paid with is like this is good for your demo reel, <laughs> dude. The story of him coming onto the production anyway is hilarious. What the the one that you guys shot? No, 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 you. Oh, like, my, like yeah, the my, fact my. that like you had <laughs> you were directing and written this film, 
And you were just, you called the stunt guys because you needed the stunt. There were so many stunts in the movie that there was no point in casting a stunt actor. You just casted a guy who does stunts as your main actor, which again doesn't help with like the rest of the movie part. That was, okay, well, you almost have to go back a step because that wasn't even the original intention. We had, we had, so at school, for whatever reason, we had like zero casting directors in our year. There was Oh my God. Yeah. No, she wasn't even in our year. Well, well, there's Jules, like, but Jules would only do like two projects with it. Like that was it. Like she didn't, she didn't want it. And when you're doing 20 productions in a year, like you're not going to give 20 productions to one person, right? No, but she um, was good at it. You no, know, she's, she's awesome. And she really likes doing it. So like kudos to her. Right. Um, so we ended up getting somebody, uh, who was a year above us. They were in fourth year. They were basically finished up all their capstone projects and they were kind of like coasting till the end of the semester and i had been told that they were reliable and at first they seemed pretty reliable and i was kind of happy with the casting decisions that were put in front of me um and then uh i was told that these were the lead actors that i were i was given uh i didn't really get a chance to sit down with them because we did a virtual casting because we shot so early uh and which was a terrible idea and also uh (laughs) another thing was uh by the time we had casted our stunt guys to be like our villain or whatever as well as our fight choreographer they were like we'll just bring people in and for some reason there was like five or six people that showed up when we started to go to camera which is cool because you're like the more the merrier. They all have lots of great stuff to stay and they all work really well together on set and they also take up all the time to shoot things, oh my which God. is fantastic. Yeah. Again, it's all it became, a it became It became the stunt choreographers brought in some guys who they wanted to train how to do stunts on camera and they went, cool, this is a training shoot for us. Fuck your short film. <laughs> Basic, basically. But like, I mean, again, again, it was like me being like 20 year old white boy going i'm gonna make a movie (laughs) and it that didn't pan out the way that i thought it was going to but um yeah it did it did kind of become like a i want to make rocky five yeah well rocky five is not that good i want to tell i want (laughs) to i want to no the fucking stupid thing was i want to tell a story about racism but then the main act main villain is like i don't feel comfortable being racist and then i just went eh, whatever Um, whatever it's out the window that's it um well yeah part of it was he was like yeah i really feel like i'm beating on this guy i was like uh you got it's kind of the and point. everything's already kind of falling apart so let's just ruin <laughs> it so but the, the it, other thing... it, it wasn't a bad idea i will give you that and it wasn't as badly executed as you say it was again it's all learning experience here right <laughs> but the um the so the, the the thing was is like three days before we go to camera like two or three days before that was when we basically decided if we were going to go with the stunt guy's lead actor or our lead actor, which was terrible because to be put in that position is like nauseatingly brutal. Like it's so terrible because you don't – it was like I know what this guy looks like and I know he fits the part. I don't know what he's going to be like on set. But the stunt guys were like, we don't know who this guy is and if we can train him and we're also going to camera in three days. And I was like – so it was yeah, not knowing I mean. who I am versus or not knowing who this guy is versus knowing who this guy is kind of, but not knowing his skill set. So it's like eh, better, like Declan mentioned, better to take somebody with the skills 
than necessarily the acting prowess because if it's an all stunt based short film then like you're just screwing yourself over yeah like like in overall screen time what the fighting took up like at least half half of the movie yeah so and it wasn't and it wasn't a thing where we could hide it like the guy actually needed to know how to box Mm -hmm. so like it wasn't a yeah you were in a tricky situation well and then again and i think i've said this before we got to camera and we had no supporting cast because none of them got the the call from our casting director that they needed to be there. So oh, yeah. I forgot then, about that. Then all the extra stunt guys just were happened to be there, and now we're all in the film. And I was like, I got, like, four stunt guys in this movie. Who cares? They're all here. So, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, everybody everybody had a pretty good time. I, 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 think, I think everybody had a good time. I don't think the film turned out that great. But, again, everybody had a good time, so it was all good. Anyway. Back on the important stuff here. We got a podcast to do. What's happening? Uh, Aren't we already doing the podcast? Um, I think we're kind of doing the podcast. Yeah, so there's not a ton of ton of film news coming out, but there is some big news. Well, there's two big news pieces, so we're going to talk about those. Uh, do you want to start with happy or do you want to start with sad? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Probably off the top. We gotta, either. Yeah, we got to address... Um, the 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 late uh chadwick boseman or bosman yeah um who unfortunately passed away uh what two days ago from the recording of this podcast uh, yeah i, I don't know was... I, there was a lot of blurs of timeline in my life at the time i know where mm-hmm. i was when i heard but that's about it but to everybody it was very sudden it was it was he 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 hadn't told anybody that he was struggling with colon cancer he did pass away uh from colon cancer and from from what it sounds like though if if you are going to pass away he passed away at home with his family with his loved ones like relatively peacefully like it wasn't there there are worse ways to go but no way to go is a good way yeah exactly and it will yeah in as every as you had already put it he um never really mentioned it to anybody it was very well he didn't mention it to to anyone like um ryan ryan coogler the the director of black panther even said like they didn't tell me which is mind-blowing because yeah like they didn't tell marvel his entire tenure at the mcu was literally shrouded with the fact that he had colon cancer the whole time. <laughs> well, that Which, and the five bloods and mm-hmm. what Marshall 21. Was that the other film or no bridge 21? Oh, 21 bridges, 21, 21 bridges. bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he did, he did a few others, but like, yeah, those are the high profile things you're talking and like huge impact. Like, uh, he, black- he has had a huge, huge impact with, with his portrayal of black Panther, his portrayal of King uh, T'Challa. T'Challa. And I don't think you can, you you can't underestimate how important and how influential he has been as a figure in popular culture for the past five years. Like you cannot I think I think some people will try to undersell it, and I think those people are people who he wasn't necessarily trying to reach. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at the fact that like he was an actor who met the president, not a lot of people get to do that. No. He gave university speeches and he like 
like he was a superhero, but he was a superhero that reflected uh, an entire group of people who had not been reflected in superheroes on screen in that way ever before. He was something very important to a, to a group of people who had not seen that level of representation before, mm-hmm. ever. Um, like, yes, Black Panther was a character in comics before, but not in a $200 million, billion dollar grossing movie. The other thing is that he he did not shy away from who he was and how important he was to everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. He not only represented King T'Challa on screen, but he represented the values of him off screen and the importance of what he could bring to to, to his community and to other people around the world. There was something, um, the lead male actor in Kim's Convenience, which is a Canadian television show, um, He uh, Kim's Convenience is a TV show about uh, Korean Canadians and they own a convenience store and their kids and all that sort of stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. Simu, yeah, Simu Liu uh, also just got casted in Shang-Chi. Um, oh, what's the full title? Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is a an Asian-led Marvel superhero movie. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go through. He doesn't get cast. This movie isn't going to get made if Black Panther isn't as successful as it was. Yeah. Right? So that representat- representation for, for, for Asians and for Asian North Americans doesn't happen unless Black Panther and, and King T'Challa has the legs that it had. Right? And you're going to get Simu Liu and people like Aquafina's in it as well. Aquafina. Hey, she's becoming a rising star. You can't avoid that, right? No, 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 I know that. It's just it's her it's her it's her beginnings that I always I always laugh at. That's all. What are her beginnings? Cuz I don't I I only know her from like she, the things that she's been doing lately like Ocean's 8, Crazy Rich, Rich Asians, The Farewell. She um if I'm not mistaken, she she wrote a couple EPs and and was on MTV uh and was on some it wasn't a sketch show it was some sort of like mtv show um but she has two eps on spotify or whatever like one of her most famous songs is called queef like (laughs) yeah it's like it's all about like uh it's like the feminist identity but it's also like it's kind of like this trashy rap music and it's supposed to be like intentionally like kind of I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. You got to check it out. But it's, well, it's yeah, like that's kind of that's kind of her her comedic style, like, though. Like if you if you if you saw her character in Crazy Rich Asians, that's kind of what she's like. It reminds me of kind of like a Bo Burnham sort of thing, but like less, uh, more more a little bit grungier Bo Burnham, I guess. Yeah. But like but yeah, anyway. Yeah, like I think I think we're gonna see the the effects of what he's done. And how successful he's been for for many years, and it's yeah. sad and unfortunate that like he's passed away so so early and so young. Mm-hmm. It yeah. sucks. And then uh, yeah, I mean, there's no other nothing else to really say about it. It just it it honestly sucks. And uh, 
if if anybody has a chance, you should check out Defy Bloods. I think it's like a a great a great look into some of his acting prowess as well as like I'm sure a really good representation of what he stood for outside of of the movie sphere. Because mm-hmm. because his character Storm and Norman is like the upstanding person. He's kind of like the hey fight for power and right but you also he was he was kind of a pacifist he was like we need to be better than ourselves to be better for everybody and that was always his character and i feel like that's kind of who he is or is portrayed in real life as well he was Mm -hmm. just always a better person so check out defy bloods on netflix it's pretty decent spike lee movie well and that's also the last movie that he was in uh he's got a couple he's got one or two more coming out i don't think he does does he he does he does yeah okay um, it's got a weird title it's something something blah 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 <laughs> well uh on to i guess more happy news box office news is finally here yes rich and do get, you want to talk about this Bec- and listen. and not say a thing about tenet because i, I have it. not seen it i did it we were given a pre-screening from warner brothers with a lady who was curating the event. And she came in and she said, you are one of the first people that gets to watch it in this theater. Uh, please don't pull out your cell phones because we don't want piracy. And then our sound guy put his hand up and he went, ma'am, we're on call. I need to have my phone out. And she went, keep it in your lap. Don't use it. And he left the room like 20 minutes into the movie because <laughs> he had to go to work. Everybody that I was with on my team left and didn't see the movie. No. I saw the whole I saw the whole movie. I was the only person yes. in, in my group of like 15 people. It was an empty theater at a, at a, at a hotel. Really cushiony seats. It's two and a half hours. Um, I don't really want to say anything about it. I can say things about it. I was told that I'm allowed to talk about it as much as I want. Because Just don't say anything because... Out. I haven't seen it yet. Do you want me to like give any sort of No, like, I want literally nothing. Uh, nothing. Okay. 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 Let's I don't even want to know if you thought it was good or not. There's so much really cool news. Um for the first time in months months we're seeing box office numbers in North America that have I'm not going to say they why are you doing that? Uh, oh, because I'm trying to not breathe on the microphone. Oh, I thought I thought you were holding your face because you saw something scary. No, um, I'm trying to not breathe. Is this ch- chocolate rain? <laughs> Wait, what? Do you not remember the, the Tai Zonday chocolate rain thing? I remember chocolate jo- rain. I don't know why you're... The joke is, in, in the video, he breathes away from the microphone, and it, there's a little text box that says, like, I turned away from the microphone not to breathe in it. <laughs> he goes, ah, ah, every chocolate verse. Rain. And he goes, chocolate ring. Um, anyway, yeah, so for the first time in who knows how long, uh, we actually have some box office news. And not just like, this is uh, drive-in movie news. This is like, yo, we've actually had people go to the movie theater maintain their safe six feet distance or and go to their favorite alamo draft house and in canada they're going to cineplex and um uh box office mojo powered by imdb pro has officially announced that uh as of this weekend 
Uh, it literally says during COVID-19 pandemic, there's a little subheading for it. Uh, the total uh, top 10 gross equaled $11.1 million. So to put it into perspective, in a weekend in North America before COVID, you would see a box office gross, a low-end one for a weekend, Friday night to a Sunday afternoon is about 85 to 110 million. And then when you have a movie like Star Wars come out, you're looking at about upwards of 300 for a weekend. Yeah. So crazy things like that. Um, so uh, this weekend was 11. There's only five releases that really had any money generated whatsoever. Uh, and first place was The New Mutants, which was a movie by Josh Boone, who directed The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, yeah. And uh, if anybody knows anything about The New Mutants, it's a uh, it was a movie that Fox was making to kind of tie into the X-Men universe. So it's a superhero movie. Uh, or it's a comic book movie. It's not, I don't know if they're really superheroes. And it's about teens that kind of live in an asylum, I guess, but they all have different powers. And the whole thing is, is that uh, this movie spent two years in the cutting room. It changed three times during the edit, completely from start to finish. It went from a comedy or a teen drama to a horror movie to a complete like supernatural teen drama that nobody has no idea what's going on, which is kind of what has happened and now has like mediocre reviews. The idea was that if and you can read up a little bit more on it, but Josh Boone, uh, along with I believe his name is something Kinberg. I think it's Alex Kinberg or something. He was the producer on a lot of the newer X-Men movies when they were doing the uh, the first class, when they had brought the old into the new again, when they had revamped that weird sort of side uh, timeline into it. Um, he was... Simon Kinberg, that's his name. He was kind of the one that was producing a lot of these films. So uh, they proposed doing a trilogy... They claimed that when Disney had bought Fox or was talking about it, there was a lot of studio meddling involved with this film and uh, so on and so forth. There was a lot of trouble with it. Again, took almost two years to get it out of the cutting room onto the actual theater. And it was supposed to come out like middle of this year. And because of COVID, it ended up getting pushed again anyways. Um, what's really interesting, though, is that it has an $80 million budget and it made seven million dollars domestically. Uh, Who gave that movie eighty million dollars? Well, what so idiot did that? Look at the cast. Look at the cast. You're talking about straight up like a list like young talent. You're new doing, mutants. You've got new mutants. You've got the dude from Stranger Things. One oh, of the okay, yeah. Guys from Stranger Things. You have Arya Stark from Game of Thrones, and then you have the Anna other Taylor Joy. On it, yeah, Anna Taylor Joy from like she she's pretty popular in a lot of movies. Well, she anyway, was so. she was in Emma and the Witch, so like she's got she's got talent. Yeah, she's she's got a lot of talent, and uh, uh, a few. I think there's a few other characters. Again, nobody. I I haven't seen it, so I don't know what the movie's about. And the trailer is so flip floppy all over the place. It's it's got a weird poster, and it makes you very confused on like what it's trying to accomplish. But anyway, it's out. It might make some money. It is out. We're, ex- 
we're, we're expecting it to maybe break even because at this point it's the only thing that's out. And if people don't even care if they watch anything that they want to, they're going to go see this. But like, there think, is a I, bigger movie in the box office right now. It's just not is. in the States. Yes. And Tenant. Tenant uh, exceeded its box office expectations for its opening weekend. It did. It made 53 million US dollars in four. 41 markets only Big being shackles. in europe the middle east africa some countries in asia and canada yeah i don't know how that works because usually canada gets roped into the domestic box office it usually does but i think they just counted it anyway because like yeah, there isn't be, like the u.s isn't open we only like get roped into screens. it because we're i also hate the fact that we get roped into it but whatever I yeah I I usually I mean when there's a couple websites that report Canadian box office statistics like uh, playback and I'm sure if we looked it up they would give like a, a top ten it it would say like they made like a couple million dollars but yeah fifty three million dollars for a tentpole action movie worldwide when it hasn't even touched the states yet huge we're talking stupid huge numbers during a pandemic during a pandemic. Uh, that's unreal. That's like a quarter can... of its $200 million budget on its yeah. opening weekend without having touched the States. Yeah. So, and looking... with a lot of people not having seen the movie yet still because of the pandemicness. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, I mean, again, having seen it myself, um, I feel like I can already anticipate what the turnout is going to be. Like, I don't know if it's going to have longevity because they want to get movies out sooner rather than later like they want to just turn them around quicker because there's just a backlog of stuff but i'm i I can only assume that that number is going to carry quite a distance you're probably going to get another 150 million from that oh no you're going to get more than 150 million i think again i think this movie is going to have some serious legs because if there is anything i have heard is that people want to go back and watch it again yeah well it's it's that time thing right like it's it, there's all of his movies. They all deal with the, the concept of time and trying to meddle with what you're trying to say. So, again, not saying anything over here. Yes, I got I got to see it for free. I'm super happy. It was the only thing I got to do, and it was one of the happiest moments of, of my 45 days here. Oh, my God. You've done 45 days. <laughs> we're, we're on day 40 right now. <clears throat> day 40. Oh, yeah. Well, you might. So, What's the max you could have then? Seven more than that? uh we said september 6th yeah no sixth then i guess because uh no seven because it's the 31st yeah so we would leave no later than the sixth so seven days yeah 47 days would be the absolute longest it's 47 days uh, <laughs> <laughs> how much do you miss your fiance a lot i, I miss sleeping in my own bed uh, I actually have sympathy for people in prison uh, because I realized <laughs> how much you miss sunshine, how much how much you miss windows, how much you miss uh, seeing people, how much you miss doing the things that you kind of enjoy on the outside world. I sat in a field, a small patch of grass the other day for about five minutes and enjoyed the sun. Oh, did they for the let first you? On, time in... Did they let you on BMO? Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't, I usually go in the morning. They don't let us on to BMO until noon. I usually get there around 10. So they give us the back patch where I think it's the supporters section is. Oh, the south end? It, the south end, yeah. So behind the south end, they have a little patch of like, it looks like a warm up area. Uh, and it's like turf as well, or it's a piece of grass. Or it could just be a walking path from side to side. Um, I have no idea where it... you're talking about. So is it inside? Is it in the, inside the stadium? Yeah, it's on. Yeah, it's on. It's on grass level. It's on turf level. Yeah, there's a bit of grass there, but that's it's it's no wider than it is at the other end of the field. Yeah. Well, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So, so look at this. If you look at the supporter section, that's that little. Area I, I know where like, the supporter section is. That's where I buy my tickets for TFC matches. I, I just want to make sure it is the supporter section. It's the one. So if it's the south end, it's behind the the goalposts. It's like two hundred seats or three hundred seats. The south end is the and nearest the lake. No, I'm not talking about. You're that, talking that. about the north end then. Yeah, I'm talking about the north end. Is that like VIP setting? seating? Mm, yes, it is. That's the VIP seating okay. area. So behind the VIP seating then, uh, there's a patch of grass. Okay. I've never been there because I usually go with the supporters because it's way more fun. I got to take you to a game. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm down. So, but we, we practice. We just hang out. They've yeah. got a couple soccer balls out that way. So we just hang out there. I, I just run up and down the stairs all day. That's <laughs> It looks dumb, but it's literally it's like the only cardio I get. So, yeah, remember fucking running up and down the stairs at the Wanderers grounds, putting up banners. <laughs> yeah, those are good times. Watching the crazy little German lady go like, "Oh, oh my stand on this god, how did she not foot. die?" She's just like, "I'm gonna put this pole in here," and you're like, "The wind would knock you." How are I you? know, I know, she, she was crazy, and it was raining. It was raining. It was slippery and windy and crazy yeah. and Halifaxy. Um, but yes, alas, um, yeah. So Tenant's cool. That's all I gotta say about Tenant. Um, and that's about it for box office news. I mean, I really haven't heard that much else. Oh, and freaking Mulan. What is Mulan doing? Thirty-five dollars Canadian. That's how much it is. To go and watch it on Disney Plus is $35 Canadian. I just got my bill for it. Not Mulan, but for Disney Plus and my credit card. It's $9 a month. I I don't think it's an awful idea. If, again, you are talking about the idea... Having a family of, like, four. Yes, if you have a family of four going, that, what, two tickets for the parents is $30, let alone your kids. I just don't think it's going to catch. I, I I think it'll catch enough. But I don't want it to. Because if it catches enough, then it becomes a, a valuable revenue stream for them. And then they'll abuse it. Then they'll go like, oh, Star Wars is coming out. It's worth $45 per person or f- per, per rental. And I'm like, I don't want that. Nobody wants to pay $45 Do, no, to go no. to a movie for two days. No, you are lying to yourself if you don't think that people want that. I heard for years and years and years 
how people hated going to the movies because it's a terrible experience because there's some fucking eight-year-old kicking your seat when you're watching Marvel. And I have a 57-inch 6K display with surround sound at my own house. I wish they would just release it so I can watch it at home in peace. I heard that from so many people. Those people will pay $35. No, they will. Yes, they will. Yes, 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 they will. And here's here's how I know it. Because they have a system where they can torrent movies and not have to pay a dime. And then they will watch it as a torrented rip that might be like a 1080p thing. And they'll think that they're getting some 6K picture on their 80-inch TV that they spend $14,000 on. And it's set to cinema scope or whatever they shoot. High, on high hertz refresh rate. So it's a 180 refresh rate even though... What you really want is 50, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, and your TV literally looks like glossy garbage. And they're like, oh, this is what 6K just does. display looks like. This is the future. And you're like, you just didn't pay for the movie because you're cheap, <laughs> even though you spent money on this TV you bought off of Amazon. Now it looks like garbage because you don't know what your TV's doing. And you're complaining because you didn't spend money and you're complaining that you're not getting the content that you want because you're afraid to pay for it. Because people in the industry need to get paid too because just because you're a plumber doesn't mean that nobody else in this world needs to get paid for the work that they do. Them grips though. (laughs) Them grips work very hard. Their union hours are very important. They take at least eight smoke breaks and they need them every day. (laughs) Actually, none of the grips on uh, this production smoked, I don't think. It's because they were they, they weren't union grips because they were they, they were all union grips they were, they were all taking, union grips and electrics and I did not no. see a single one of them smoking but I saw every single ad smoking there you go there we go now we're talking <laughs> every single and they were all DGC every single DGC ad smoked on that production and the They're, entire art department was smoking well art department that doesn't surprise me they're crazy too they're a wild bunch. And the fucking locations guys were smoking weed on set. <laughs> well, actually, never mind. They weren't technically on set. They were at holding. Was it on set, off set, or was it off set, on set? Shut up. <laughs> um, I don't have a ton of gear news or, or filmmaking news. Um, Rode has come up with some new things, some new microphones and accessory for the wireless Go video mic range, which came out last year uh, i believe mm-hmm. it's that sort of like little square that you can clip on that it is its own microphone but is also a, a, its own uh, transmitter and receiver package and it became really popular with people who are doing mirrorless and dslr filmmaking because it's so small and it can hook in through a 3.5 millimeter into a camera like that size very nice yeah it became quite popular um amongst people at that level so they're just Releasing a couple more cables, uh, another microphone, and um, like a smaller shotgun microphone and uh, a mount uh, so that you can use one cold shoe, but then it has two cold shoes with cable holding areas, oh. which is which is kind of nice because on those smaller cameras, space is a premium. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get a couple of inches to play with. Literally. Uh, and then uh, Ari uh, Ari announced a uh, lightweight dolly. Um, it's a lot more similar to oh, what is it called? 
it's really similar to something like a Dana dolly. Okay. Right. So you're not gonna you're not gonna put a Chapman on there or or a doorway dolly or something. You're it has its own platform and you'll mount your your fluid head on top of that and such. And it's only gonna go one one track is I think six feet. But the nice thing about it is that you can combine multiple tracks like you can do with any other sort of dolly tracks. Um, so if you really wanted to and you had the 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 wood planks and the gripping to get you far. You could probably go for a pretty long while. Yeah. Right? And I know some people like doing stuff like that because it's a lot simpler and easy to set up than getting a Chapman or getting a getting a Fisher or something like that, right? And you can undersling them as well if you want to get that angle. So actually, uh, Ari has been sort of reaching more into the studio world, especially with their studio lighting setups. Um trying to reach into like the newsroom or like netflix has been setting up a bunch of studios and such if you can put a couple of those things onto a ceiling somewhere mount some cameras there like that's gonna help you Mm -hmm. so it it seems a little bit interesting but it's it's just kind of another tool to add into your general uh gear right yeah totally yeah it's it's gonna kind of compete with the the dana dolly world and such yeah i do i do appreciate that you can um, combine them because if you can't it just becomes a slider (laughs) an expensive slider (laughs) yeah that's something like like uh yeah some people do use the dana dolly essentially as an expensive slider and and i've used it as that it's pretty smooth like it's really nice well it is really nice because sometimes a slider is what you need not a dolly if you're in a house, it's hard, like, yeah, you can have a doorway dolly, but it's really hard to actually, like, turn corners or, like, do a lot of things. And sometimes really all you want to do is just slide six feet and putting down tracks on C-stands or on some cribbing is a lot easier than bringing out a Chapman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, or a Fisher, whatever, dolly of choice. Literally any system, yeah. Uh, that's... That's about it. So, do you want to talk Uh-oh. about fucking terrible, depressing death and war? Uh, yes. Do you... Alright, so this week, we announced it on the podcast <laughs> last week. That was the that was probably one of the worst transitions <laughs> you've ever done. I swear that they're getting worse. That was... That was, that was peak bad <laughs> do you want me to give you another option or are you not even going to bother in the edit no it's fine it's totally fine i'm going to keep this because i think it's great <laughs> <laughs> um okay yeah so we watched uh the 2009 israeli film titled lebanon it is not a lebanese film richard <laughs> sorry i'm very sorry um yeah, so we announced it on the podcast that that's what we would be watching. Um, it's a film that I've been wanting to watch for a number of years. Uh, it was a successfully critically acclaimed film. It it won uh, camera image. It won at Venice, and actually won a number of awards at at Venice. So deservedly so. Yeah. Uh, do you want to recap? No. No. <laughs> no. I'll butcher it. No. Okay. 
Um, so, recap and context. Uh, this film is directed by Israeli filmmaker uh, Samuel Maoz or Maoz. I'm not really yeah. sure how to pronounce his last name. Uh, and he has an interesting backstory. Um, he oh. actually served in a tank in 1982 in the first Lebanon war. Oh, this film takes place in 1982 during the first Lebanon war inside in of first, a tank. Yeah. And the first day of it, doesn't it say that right? I believe it's the, the first day or one of the opening days. Yeah. So the Lebanon war was a sort of, I'm not an expert on the topic by any stretch of the imagination. From what I know, it had something to do with a, a possible terrorist or insurgent group in Lebanon and Israel wanting to sort of um, protect itself outside of its own borders by going into another country to eliminate a threat um, that they thought was going to threaten them, mm-hmm. is my understanding. I could be completely wrong, but like they're... T- during the film, they're not calling people Lebanese soldiers. They're calling them terrorists or insurgents or whatever, right? I hear the word terrorist used very often. Yes, yeah. so that's what I, I think they were going in to take out a terrorist element is what I understand. So the film follows uh, four characters in this tank crew and um, some people outside of it, but not very many. Um, and it's this tank and a patro- uh, a platoon of paratroopers who are sent into this village or the city. And they have to get through it to get to the it's next Saint- objective. St. Tropez, right? No, St. Tropez was the hotel that they were trying to get to. Oh, there you go. Right? But they have to go through the city first. And the city was bombed by the Air Force first. And really, that's the only plot yeah it's a really simple plot actually really it's a really simply written movie um but it's more about the journey and the way that everything's presented so except for one shot at the beginning of the movie and two shots at the end of the movie this entire film takes place inside the tank or from the perspective uh-huh. of the people inside the tank. Which is an interesting way of doing it. Um, now you do, see, you do see things that are going on outside of the tank. But you see it through the perspective of periscopes and such, right? Which were definitely aided by other audiovisual elements that were kind of brought into the spectrum. But we'll, we'll talk about that more in a bit. Yeah, so... Um, and and yeah, but it's it's about we we learn about these characters, their histories, like their fears a lot, um, and what they go through and what they experience and what they see, and none of it is good. Pretty much, this is not a yeah. this is not a pro war movie by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's really depressing. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> to, and to put it lightly. Yeah, and I know <laughs> sometimes uh, the the Israeli government can be kind of criticized for its militaristic nature, 
Um, but this this film is not pro Israeli military. Um, they all. do not make the Israeli military look particularly good um, or particularly kind. Um, there are lots of instances of potential war crimes that go on. <laughs> right yeah um, like even early on with the civilians yeah really early on with the civilians right um and maybe some shady stuff that goes on at the end and the upper command not really caring but also sort of caring like it's a it's a complex film is what i would also say like the characters in the film are not one note no. they have levels to them that are revealed as the film goes on yeah, there was, there was a lot of instances uh, where I had seen familiar elements in other movies. Such like, as? Well, like, so the one guy was talking about his, uh, when his dad passed away, that That, that story. story threw me for a loop. Like, what yeah. was going on there? That reminded me of Matt Damon's story in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what's weird about that is that that story that Matt Damon tells was completely improvised. Uh, if you read the backstory on it a little bit, it was completely improvised because he was just trying to get more into the character or something like that. And that's why he, the, Tom Hanks doesn't know how to react to it in that scene. He, he stares at him like he doesn't know what's going on. Um, and in other instances, well, just in general, but like the movie Fury which came out after the fact, uh, which was... Well, it came out after uh, this film. Yeah, it came out after this film. Um, was an American movie directed by David Ayer about a World War II tank crew, and there were some similar humanistic elements. It, again, it was a, a, a drearier mm-hmm. depiction of what the gritty lifestyle of a tank crew was kind of like, and so much of that atmosphere that gritty dark ugliness kind of came out in what was going on in in this film so it it felt like it really kind of took bits and pieces of other well it can't it can't have taken anything from fury it it couldn't have taken it but with my preconceived notion of what fury was like it it it, like you're going into this movie with all that yeah, you see, and, and what Fury does is it, it has a lot of elements outside of the tank as well, and it, it does the American thing where it does the big grand action set pieces as well. Whereas yeah, this one doesn't this have any set pieces. Very intimate and claustrophobic. Complete, uh, more more like a submarine movie, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because a lot of submarine movies, what they do is because they're in the water the entire time, and there's no landscape around them, but what is inside these tight tubes of metal is that they just portray things in tight corridors and whatnot. And I think that was where this movie really shined, but also was really distracting because it was so, there was a lot of times I really didn't know what the direction of this tank was. I I think that's intentional. Is that intentional? I think it's intentional. It was like, but also like, like, like you, like people that are listening to this can't, can't see my hands as I'm going, (laughs) but literally like there are so many shots that feel like they 
like the geography of the inside of this tank i i have no idea like if 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 I didn't see the image of the tank at the end of the film, I would have had no idea that's what that tank looked like. I don't think I don't I don't think knowing what the tank look looks like is important to this movie though. It's it's not it's not, but also like it it, it, it I, I like to have some sort of a reference. Like I, I like to know where things are in relation to each other and because it helps me as a as a viewer kind of understand where things are happening where viewfinders are and people are thinking about things and where characters are in the scene. Now I think that, and this is why I think it's intentional. Okay. Is because that would be the traditional way of doing it. Okay. Right. I think it's intentional and I think it comes from the director's background of having been in a tank crew. And like, I'm, I'm somebody who's interested in history and you hear people talking about like when you're in a tank, the only way you can see out is through tiny slits and periscopes. So that mm-hmm. feeling of not knowing where even like your gun is pointed or like what's in front of you is an actual real feeling that tank crews go through because it's just a box of metal, right? That's, like you are trapped inside this box of metal and you can't see out of it really. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the only person who we ever see look out of it is the gunner because he's the guy with the periscope looking out and aiming. Right? Yeah. I, yeah, That's I don't even it. think the driver knows where he's going, or we, we don't know where he thinks he's going. That's, that's, it's just go straight go north and it's just it's just happening and it's rumbling and it's doing things and you're like i don't know what's going on but i think and that's why i think it's intentional because like they could have very easily shown you but they didn't Mm -hmm. and i think they did it for a reason yeah I, i i think it's a little bit of a deterrent just because again it's just hard to understand everything that's going on in there at one time i think it's a deterrent if you're talking about it from a from an entertainment point of view of trying to understand the story but if you're talking about it from like a we're going to try to help you feel like you're in the tank i think it works better Mm. that way yeah so it's it's two heads of a different coin yeah it's two it's two different directives and that's why i think somebody like a, a film like fury would show you what's happening outside the tank because if not, mm-hmm. the people like people watching the movie would just be like, "What the fuck is going on?" Mm-hmm. But this movie's like, "No, this is about the people inside the tank. They don't know what's going on outside the tank, so we're not going to show you what's going on inside the tank." Yeah, um, but all in all, though, like, well, not all in all, though, we we haven't even spoken about half of the movie. Like, there's there's just a lot to unravel. Like, and it's not even are... a long movie. It's like an, it's an eighty minute long movie. <laughs> Yeah, you, with credits, it's ninety. It's eighty minutes if you if you really want to speed run this thing. Like it is, it's not it's not long. Um, it's it's so depressing, man. <laughs> it's so. It is. It just, is really depressing. It just looks at the traumas of war in so many. It it, it, it honestly at first I was kind of like hoping that there would be something a little. I, I, I don't know if I was going to say gratifying or something more to like cling on to because every time they walked into a new village, it was like relentless. It was like, oh, this is person being upset because they don't want to shoot something or they don't want to 
look at something that's I, happening or they I love the it, very it, it, the very first scenario that they run into is the the car coming great. down the road so they go into their position on this road to meet up with the platoon like mm-hmm. and they wait and then they get woken up by this car coming at them slowly right and they were told by the commanding officer beforehand like hey if any vehicle comes at us you fire warning shots and then you kill the engine like mm. if they don't stop, you kill the engine with the gun. You mobilize this thing, like take it out. Yeah. Um but the gunner hesitates. He did the warning shots, but then he didn't want to take out the engine because he zoomed in and the movie does it. They zoom in and they see the face. Right? And then they, they allude to it on the line afterwards where he was like I panicked because I'd only ever shot at tin cans before. Not a human with a face. But you see the negative consequences in this scenario of him doing that is a guy dies. Like a a soldier who's with them dies. And then he gets extra those consequences because they have no way of getting his body out of there. So they put the body in the tank with them. He has the literal reminder of his consequences right beside him rotting. Like that's in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And just it just like gets the, worse. <laughs> the smell of it, his, again, his constant reminder of it, and the other guys just having to deal with the fact that the other guy screwed up, and they all... They like, all now look bad like, because of it. Well, they, it, I mean, they always, and by the end of the movie, they all, all kind of look bad because they're all... They all fuck uh, up in their own individual ways, because they're human, and they all break yeah. under the pressures of war <laughs> at different yeah. moments, right? But then you in get their first day. <laughs> yeah, and you get another moment. But then it's it's interesting because later on with the gunner, I think the gunner is kind of the. There isn't a main character, but I feel like for the first half of the film, it's kind of the gunner. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but you then get to the village, and they're dealing with these insurgents, and there's a possible like hostage scenario. And the guy is just like, just level that floor, right? Just like send a shell in there, and he does. Right, but he he hesitates at first. Though. Well, he hesitates, but then he like I, and this is me kind of extrapolating, but like he hesitates, but then I think he's like, oh, but if I don't, maybe some of our people will die again. <laughs> so then he does it. Yeah. But then again, he gets the consequences of there was a girl there, and then the mother's coming out with like looking for her child. And you're like, that girl probably just blew up. No offense, but like... Yeah. And and she... And so like, no matter what he does, whether he doesn't kill or he kills, either way, it's a terrible situation. Like, there's no no good solution. It just sucks. It just (laughs) sucks. And then that, like... And like, her dress catches on fire, so then she has to have her dress ripped off. So she's running around the street naked. And it's just like, Jesus... And then they get, like... They get shot at. (laughs) They get shot at, so they get kind of blown to shit. And then their commanding officer's like, no. So the driver's kind of breaking down there. It's just... It's wave after wave of, like, different... Like, one of my favorite ones was the shaving scene. The shaving scene was just... That's where, like, you have the guy, you have the tank commander who's trying to be this sort of, like, tough, generic... Machi- 
machismo. Yeah, and he, like he's really concerned about his image, right? Mm-hmm. But then you kind of see him break. And he's like still concerned about his image because he's like, no, I am an officer. I need to shave and we will go in advance. But like, you know that like he's not there upstairs. Like something is clearly wrong with him. Like he is broken. Like he, I honestly was expecting somebody to take charge at that point afterwards. Like I was, I was fully prepared for the, a different character, uh, the loader. Yeah. The loader is kind of the guy who speaks up the most, but even then, like, he he cracks under the pressure as well because they kind of realize like all this time they're like no let's just go back let's go back let's go back and then they're like i think it's kind of funny like if it was in a movie like fury Hmm. so uh, they end up surrounded in this situation where they're kind of surrounded and the platoon is essentially dead right or they don't even know Hmm. where they are they're just kind of i think i think it because they follow a weird transport it, it i think they're just kind of off on a different path yeah but there's sh- the tank is stranded and they all just want to go home and then they kind of just go and they're all panicking and they're just like no i don't want to do this i don't want to do this and i guess they just kind of come to this realization of like the only way we go home is to blast through whatever the fuck is in front of us and just get the hell out of here right yeah like that's the only way out and they eventually do it, but like all of them break. <laughs> and oh, the the ending. The last fucking line in this movie. <laughs> Tell your driver his mother got his message after the driver just died. <laughs> break. <laughs> like the one thing the driver was like, yo, can somebody tell my mom that I'm okay? <laughs> Well, you, in, that's a that's the perfect Chekhov's gun because the beginning he mentions it, and the commanding officer of the of the paratroopers like we don't do that here. They reintroduce it halfway through or just before because the commanding officer second like, turning point. Yo, somebody check in on his mom. Yeah, and he's like, "Tell my mom too," because he's like, "I don't know if we're gonna make it." And then, boom, everything bad happens. Then it's like, oof. And the ending oof. up in the field of sunflowers. Like, it's it's a great contrasting poeticness to the hell that they've just been through. And that's when we see the outside of the tank, and that's when they get to experience the world. Like, Now, they didn't... Did they start in, in a field of sunflowers as well? Okay, I just wanted to make no, sure I, I understood that properly. The film starts in a field of sunflowers. The okay, tank isn't okay. there, Thank- though. Okay. It is the same field as at the beginning and the end, but the beginning doesn't yeah. have the tank, and then we mm-hmm. go into the tank. The ending, but we do it. For, yeah. has the tank, and they come out of okay. the tank. Because I wasn't sure there there was a a slight hesitation for me when I was when I was watching it. I was like, did they kind of end back in the same place that they started? I don't because I I didn't see the tank in both places. But I do remember the movie starting and ending in the exact same spot. So I was like, is it this did. a thing? Yeah, okay. I think we have to talk about the cinematography, though. Because I don't think you can yeah. talk about this movie without... Well, the sound design is amazing. But this film, one camera image in 2009, which is the the world's premier international camera film festival, essentially. In mm. Poland, has been running for like 50 years or something. Really highly regarded. 
So the film was shot on a, an RE416 in 16mm. And it was shot mostly inside of an actual tank. That's unreal. Or like, I think they, I think it was a mix of a set and a real tank. I think is how I, they did. If they, if they had said it's a set, I would have totally like. There's some I've shots. Never been in a tank, there's some so shots know. that you can't get in a real tank, like the one where the guy is dying and like has a crane arm coming in. Like you can't get that inside of a real tank. But I think some yeah. of it was, was or it was a set. But um. Just some like the 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 use of uh, foreground elements. And the use of the the framing and how they shot it and the extreme close ups, um, and the camera angles, just everything. Like how many, how many shots can you get inside of a box? That was the like creative task that they were given, given mm-hmm. right? And they 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 changed it up so many ways, and they even did some sort of experimental stuff, like when they're blasting through things and there's like wobbling in the frame and like. It's a close-up of a guy wobbling in the frame and the fucking everything's going off. And then the periscope and how the as the film progresses, the periscope breaks more. Yeah. Because of the shit like that they There's like cracks in it. Yeah. yeah. And, and the way that they also tell the story outside of the tank through the periscope. Like, the periscope part, that's where the realism breaks for me. Because, like, the gunner's pointing the gun at, like, the guy talking outside the tank. You're not pointing your gun at your commanding officer, but like it's done because it's, oh, we need to see this conversation happening and this is how we can view it. He does say that at the beginning of the film. What? When the commanding officer does come up to the tank, he says, don't point that gun at me. He acknowledges that the gun's pointed at his face. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that 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 happens. And like, and that's where they combine some audio elements to it as well. Like, they can only hear things that are going on outside unless they're really loud or are through the radio. So it'll like point at this guy, um, anybody talking on the radio or whatever, and you're hearing it through the radio in the tank, but you're seeing it through this periscope. Mm-hmm. And like, they're even talking about in the film. It's like, I don't think he's telling us everything, right? Like you're so untrusting of what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. I think, it's a it's a, it's it's a very well written movie, and it's simple, yeah. and it connects on an emotional level, and it hits, it hits, it hits, hits hard, dude. Hits hard, it, hard, dude. It's uh, it's it's a movie that, when I was halfway through it, I realized I probably would not watch it again, or would not watch for a quite a long time. Just because it's Cause that it's heavy, just, it's just that heavy. Like, th- there's not many movies that do that for me. Another one is Requiem for a Dream. I will not like. That's I still not haven't a movie seen it. What? Because I, I've been avoiding it because I'm like, I, uh, you know, all the things you hear. Not a movie I could watch every day of the week. It's so heavy. Uh, I, and again, another movie where filmmaking elements in um, it does things that seem simplistic, but it finds a way to do them as creatively as possible, which is just, there, there are so many frames in this Lebanon movie that really do stick out to me. Um, There's a lot of images that do get like the, the, he zooms in on the mother, the woman's face 
that extreme yeah. close up or the the close up of the man the shaving the shaving the the close I, I even forgot the guy in the the farm truck at the beginning of the film doesn't yeah. blow up the one car but then the farm truck comes around and he doesn't just take out the engine he, he blows, blows the, the entire truck up and the guy loses every limb and then the soldiers just go fuck it we're putting this man out of his misery and they yeah. shoot him and his fucking lying face first in the ground like there's so much oh fuck and there's even another part where they're just going into the town and the soldiers go into a room blast it up and then a child like a 11 year old comes running out and they're like no don't shoot and you do a close-up of him from the tank's perspective yeah and then it's just him running off like it's it's Really, just a showcase that like war, no matter what, whose side you're on, it doesn't end well for anyone. No, no matter what. Like, and it's a, it's it's also a good presentation on how strong your close-ups are in a movie. Close-ups, like, if if like that. Yeah, it's a movie that relies so much on close-ups. There's no wides. It's 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 mm-hmm. medium shots and close-ups, and how much a close-up can sell. Mm-hmm. like that if if anybody doesn't believe that a close-up can make the difference it's like just watch this movie like it is literally like a step-by-step like presentation on why they are so important and how like getting even closer to a character can make them if you set it up properly can make it like it, it, it's all the payoff you need for a, for a character yeah it's insane and just like how how framing and acting i thought the acting was quite good as well yeah right like the acting and the story and pacing like the pacing's great because just as everything's starting to get a bit like really crazy they slow it down and do that crazy story about the the gunner and his father dying and like his teacher sort of jerking him off with a hug it was a weird story it was a very strange story. I was like, is this happening right now? Am I listening to the same thing? Yeah, but it's like... Kind of came out of the middle of nowhere, but like, I mean... Yeah, I don't remember what the end point of that story was. I think I think the point of the story was just kind of like the things that come out of the woodworks when shit happens. Yeah. Um. But I like, can't remember if there was a line at the end of it that he says something that was kind of relevant to the point. I can't remember like, either. But the pacing like, of the oh, movie, yeah, the pacing of the movie is great though because it's been so frantic up until that point, and then it's like, no, slow the fuck down. Yeah, it's good. What uh? Oh, it's yawn time. <sighs> It's almost two in the morning. What what would you uh, give it on our uh, scale of funness? <laughs> on our scale of funness, this movie is not fun at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you are watching a movie to have fun, don't watch this movie at all. If you no. are watching a movie like I like to for the art of cinema, uh, this movie is a great piece of art. Um, although, actually, this kind of relates back to like last week's well, two weeks ago's film, uh, Eraserhead. That movie was not fun at all, uh, but was high, high, high art. I think this movie is a lot more entertaining, a little bit less art. 
Yes. Right? So yeah, I would yeah. I would give totally this like on an entertainment that. scale, it's like a four or a five. Right? Like because you're still entertained by the story a little bit, a lot more than like Eraserhead, which is essentially a feature length experimental film. Like this still has a plot <laughs> that is followable. Yeah. Um but in terms of like also being like a, a piece of cinema and a piece of like relevant cultural language that's coming out at the time because like it came out 30 ish years after that war right when yeah. the peop- when the young men who were sent off to that war because is- israel is one of the countries that has in- uh, conscription so a large majority of israel was affected by that war um in a real visceral way and those men were just coming into like being in the positions of power right being 40 being 50 and, and being comfortable telling their stories and their their experiences from it, right? And mm-hmm. just like we had a wave of films um, about World War Two, just as sort of the, the the generation that fought that war was dying, and people wanted to tell that story. But I think it's just it's a politically relevant movie. It's an artistically relevant movie. It's a it's an emo- emotional and impactful movie. I I'd, I'd give it like an eight. I think that's what I gave it on IMDb. Okay. Solid eight. Yeah. No, that's that's a super solid score. Um, not that a score really means that much, but um, I'm I'm about I think I'm with you. I it was like this feels like a solid eight all around. Just because. I mean, I don't know if I would go as far to say that it's like a four or five as like an entertainment thing. Like I I was I think I was thoroughly entertained. I was depressed, but I was... Yeah, no, I was... I, was I, also, I wouldn't say it was entertained. I wouldn't say I was captivated. Yeah, captivated, uh, kept on edge. Yeah, I was captivated and engaged, uh, but I wasn't having in, fun. <laughs> yeah, no, having fun is, like, the last thing that kind of comes to mind. But every everything else on, on the emotional spectrum was, was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was definitely, like, tense and, and, and moving and had the elements of everything I would kind of expect from a movie. And, uh, again, it did a lot of things that I wasn't expecting. It was, it was having, it, it was reveling in what it wanted to be. That was inside that tank that whole time. It did not want to leave. And I was not going to bash it for it. Again, it was a little, I think a little hard to follow at times, but I can't fault it for that because you said, and it, it could very well have been that that was the decision that they decided to make. I, I do heavily believe that that was the decision that they went for. Yeah. Right. It, it could also just be like that's kind of that almost like that shell shock feeling, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. Like you're just kind of all over the place. Um, and uh, I really just, I, I really like the perspective. Like every time they got into the tank, like looking down at the water and seeing the reflection or whatever that fluid was at the bottom of that tank. It might, who knows? Because they pissed a lot in that tank. And there was oil leaking all the time. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it was definitely like a, a genuinely really solid movie. One that I might not recommend often <laughs> yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't heavily recommend this movie to a lot of people just because it's not it's not everybody's cup of tea yeah yeah but it, again it was, it was really good mm-hmm. it, was, it was really dope 
Uh-oh. I have a film suggestion for next week. Uh-oh. Do you do you have a pick? Because I tend to pick a lot of the movies that we watch on this show. No, I, I'm 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 always like I had no idea that this movie even existed. So I'm I'm really excited to hear what you what you have to say. This is a film that I've suggested to you before, and Uh-oh. it is by a filmmaker who I have seen all of his other films, but I have not seen oh, this one. Oh, you're talking about the the Sing Street guy? Yes, I say we watch once the 2007 Irish film made by John Carney. John Carney. Yes. It uh yeah, John Carney, if you don't know, um also made films like uh Sing Street and Begin Again. Um there are a couple other films that he's made earlier in his career in Ireland and and another film called Zonad, which was another film that I don't really know anything about, but he he he's known for making his um sort of modern musicals in film mm-hmm. and sing street is a great movie begin again is another great movie that stars uh kira knightley and mark ruffalo um i i really like his his films he's a great he writes the music as well like he's it's a it's it's good <laughs> so once was the film that really kicked him off into the the starlight of doing those sorts of things it also um won an oscar for best original song and it got picked up and turned into a stage play musical for that's been running for like nearly a decade now like on tour and in other places around the world um nice and it's it's an interesting film especially if you come at it from a a independent filmmaking view because the movie was made for i believe 150,000 euros which is almost nothing that's it that's like what $200,000 US yeah you're looking at just shy of 300,000 Canadian yeah like it is a it is a micro budget movie with a capital <laughs> micro <laughs> um Yes. And like the 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 two actors that were cast were not cast because they were actors, they were cast because they were musicians. Um but it's a, it's a story that is that has captivated audiences for the best part of a decade. Mm-hmm. And I say we watch it cuz it's a happier story than the past like That's what you think until those two characters end up in another civil war somewhere with 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 crazy terrorist insurgents. Okay, wait. It's set it. It's fight their way. Out. It's set in Ireland. That isn't that far off of a possibility. Don't talk about that. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Because uh, it wasn't have too to long ago. But, yeah. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say it's been a while since we watched a happier movie, but we did just watch Pride and Prejudice not too long ago. So. All right. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of the Popcorn Pillow Talk podcast. I've been Declan. Oh, yeah. That's been um, Richard. Yeah. We're both tired. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.